Hey, and welcome to the Sobriety 101 edition of My Zen Brain, Where Is Your Mind? It's good to be with you uh, on this rainy and uh, somewhat dismal Sunday, but uh, I am actually enjoying it because this is the first time in a few years, that, well, a couple years, that uh, fall has... Uh, well, it's just carried a little less weight, and uh, going into winter, um, I personally am feeling a lot more sound and, uh, I don't know, content with uh, the way things are going right now. So, uh, so this is the Where Is My Mind Sobriety 101 edition, Sobriety 101, because I haven't really talked about sobriety much since the very first podcast. Uh, I've had, you know, three or four uh, podcasts with other alcoholics, but um, I haven't really shared why I continue uh, to be a active member of Alcoholics Anonymous. Um, and I got a lot of baggage, and sometimes I get so wrapped up in sharing the stuff that has come out of my experience in and with sobriety that I forget that one of the reasons I started this podcast is I wanted to kind of explain, at least in my own experience and the stories I've heard, <clears throat> excuse me, um, how the alcoholic thinks and try to provide a window into why we do what we do. Um, a good friend of mine in the program of AA died this last week. He was my sponsor's sponsor, and he was in his late 70s, and I went over to his house a few times so he could work on various minor afflictions of my 2007 Ford Focus. And... You know, when we needed a part from the auto shop, we would get in his truck, and uh, I got to learn a fair amount about him and his life before and after he got into AA, which, as you may know, is the reason I started this uh, podcast, partially anyway. Uh, Mac was a good Boston Irish Catholic boy, uh, appropriately, nick appropriately nicknamed Mac. Uh, and his overall indifference to the concept of faith in a higher power exceeded even mine. <laughs> he was an outright atheist, and he didn't care who knew it, and he, he and even less what other people thought of it, thought about it. Uh, it's been apparent for a minute that he wasn't doing well with a few health complications. So his passing didn't come really as any kind of a surprise. Um, I have two vivid memories of Mac, and they both concern uh, his shares at AA meetings. And the first one will live in my heart always for its profundity. Mac used to say often in his shares that for the recovering alcoholic and addict, a meeting is the safest place you will be all day. And boy, was he right. And because Mac really believed in the anonymity of Alcoholics Anonymous. Um, anyway, the second instance was a one-time affair. And it was after a few people uh, had shared how AA works for them. And they were aware of all the alternatives for getting sober from passages of Malibu 
two moderation methods to white knuckling it and going solo. And towards the end of the meeting, Mac piped up and said, I don't really understand why everybody is talking about this rehab program and that rehab program. And um, let's see. Um, he used to say that it, it doesn't make any sense, uh, you know, passages of Malibu and moderation methods and even white knuckling it and trying to go with solo. And he just would say, I don't really understand why everybody is talking about this rehab method and that rehab program and what does work and why doesn't it work and all that. I mean, you're here and I'm here. So obviously this program is working for us. So what the hell are we talking about? <laughs> um, Mac died sober for as much as I know. Uh, he pulled no punches and he said what he thought which was often not popular because he was a crotchety young curmudgeon before he was a crotchety old curmudgeon with a heart of gold, and he would give you a kidney if you needed it. In fact, Mac reminded me of the Dennis Leary joke. Uh, Dennis Leary, another Boston Irish boy, uh, made a joke about John Wayne. He's talking about John Wayne having one of his long lungs removed from lung cancer. And John Wayne said, take them both. I don't bloody need them. <laughs> and that was Mac. Uh, he was one of my first great friends in sobriety. And I loved him and I'll miss him. When I first got sober, I was generating blog posts that tried to explain in my newcomer's brain, the mind of an alcoholic. Uh, I often had people approach me and thank, thank me for explaining to them exactly how the mind of the alcoholic works and my attempts to explain why we do what we do. Um, and the short answer after almost 10 years is that for me, in the top three on a given day, is the freedom from the addiction that we value the most. All the other things like the weight loss and the regular quality sleep, uh, the rejuvenation of friendships and relationships, um, as well as new ones that we make in sobriety, um, the replenishment of our wallets <laughs> when we stop blowing money, unbooze, uh, and a hundred other things that the act of getting free from the bloody claws of alcoholism prompts us to look back on our time as a drunk and wonder what the hell was wrong with us. <laughs> and I say um, bloody claws because once it has a hold of us, alcohol addiction digs in for dear life until it becomes our life. And drunks know what I'm talking about. Speaking of drunks, knowing what I'm talking about, I was having a conversation with a woman who is a therapist the other day, and she said something I found fresh yet profoundly wise. She told me she doesn't offer addiction therapy in her practice because she acknowledged that she doesn't understand addiction. She said she has the same reaction to people who say they have an addiction problem that many, many people have. And that is the just stop doing it mentality. I told her about my favorite scene that really explains 
the slithery, slimy nature of substance abuse, which is the scene in West Wing when Leo, uh, President Sheen's chief of staff, is having a conversation with a woman who outed him as an addict, and they're having sort of a reconciliation. And she tells Leo that she just doesn't understand why he can't have just one drink. And he tells her, because I don't want to have just one drink. I want ten drinks. He didn't shrug his shoulders after he said this, and I wish he would have, because that would have made it ever more apparent um, the first half of the first step in the 12 steps, which is that we are powerless over alcohol. I think when you truly suffer from addiction to something, there is certainly, to varying degrees, elements of that powerless feeling over your drug of choice. And whether it be booze, coke, meth, caffeine, exercise, television, it, if, if it takes over your life to the point where it has any kind of element of control over your life, it's time to take a closer look. And it is, it is the freedom from my addiction to booze that, that Leo was talking about and finally being free of that addiction. And I value that almost more than anything else uh, about my sobriety. At first, and for varying lengths of time afterwards, it is the freedom that honestly scares alcoholics the most. They say we are more comfortable with the devil we know than the, un than the uncertainty that we don't know until we give up our addiction. And so a lot of alcoholics express dread at facing this uncertainty. Most, because I think, anyway, we are terrified of the freedom. And that's why halfway houses and three-quarters houses are so valuable and why they are so rigidly structured. The newly recovering person absolutely needs a new set of rules to live by. Rules set by folks who, at least in my case, have already been there. So they know that cleaning up our lives and starting off, starting on and building on new habits and new routines is absolutely vital to starting a life free from booze. It's also a shitload of work, and building and keeping the trust of others takes energy, it takes faith, and most of all, it takes time. And this is why many, many of the friends and family of the alcoholic won't believe the veracity of the newcomer, or worse, will try to sabotage their efforts of the newcomer to get sober because they are afraid themselves of not being able to control and manipulate the devil that they know anymore and are terrified of the newly sober person as the newly sober person doesn't need a codependent girlfriend or boyfriend and is often really scared of what realizations and then directions that sobriety may take their former train wreck of a significant other. <laughs> and that's why the 90 meetings and 90 days tradition started, I think. I think it's a good thing. The 90 and 90 is AA shorthand for uh, this practice of going to 90 meetings in 90 days. The logic being uh, one immerses themselves in the program of AA and makes sobriety their top priority right out of the gate. And I didn't myself do this as I found other ways equally important, if not more, to my sobriety than meetings 
have been, but I definitely get it. In sobriety, if one is prudent, resourceful, and lucky enough to have come to sobriety at least only partially in the red in all the areas of our life that we want to get back in the black with everything, and like I said, it almost always takes the, the help of other alcoholics, whether in meetings or three-quarters houses or whatever, to string together one month or three months or nine months or a year. <clears throat> and but before we start to get comfortable with the idea of sobriety, and frankly, before anyone even starts to take us seriously. But if our intentions are pure and our motivations are solid, we can get to that, to the end of that first 90 days or six months or a year. And we can do it physically, mentally, and emotionally intact. And hopefully giving the rest of the sober world enough signs that we are ready to live a normal life and hopefully giving those who would wish us otherwise, like the doubting, manipulative girlfriend or boyfriend or wife or husband, a stiff middle finger. <laughs> each day we stay sober, each day we stay free of our addiction, is a day we work towards other goals. And that feeling is rife with the freedom to do all of those things you wanted to do when we were out there because when we were still out there booze was often the first last and only thing we cared about at the end of our drinking career and for as scary and daunting as getting sober is the alternative <laughs> the dark side the all-out belief The abandonment of any kind of belief in ourselves is a damn sight worse. But if you start with a sound mind and you play sobriety right from the word jump and you have a good sponsor and other AAers to help you grind out a life worth living, then the freedom can blossom into prosperity of all sorts. So there it is. The transcripts of Where Is Your Mind segments I will be posting on my blog. That's the, that's the solution I decided on for marrying my desire to keep putting myself out there and keeping the blog kind of alive and kicking. And it's also my way of keeping myself honest. And if you get something out of it, and maybe something I said rings true for you or someone you care about, all the better. I hope to have a new book report uh, out very soon, and I'll be posting that on my Patreon page. And you can always reach me via myzenbrain, all one word, at gmail.com. If you simply have to tell me how wise and insightful you find my Zen brain, or if you just want to tell me how full of shit I am. As always, keep your head about you.